Does anybody have the tradition at your home of placing the star on top of the tree? Anybody have that? Is that kind of like a big shindig, big tradition where you fight over it? Who's going to put the star on top of the tree? And maybe it's this kid this year, this kid this year, this kid this year. Or you might be one of those heathen families that just puts angels on top of your trees or whatever, or, you know, or, or you know, uh, the, the, whatever ornamentation you have and things like that. Well, hopefully after this sermon that you hear, you'll be convicted of your sin and put a star on top of your tree, uh, which is why we labeled this sermon, The Promised One is the Star of Jacob. I think it's, you know, I think it's significant when we think about a star, because what we're going to learn today from Numbers 24 is this, that Jesus, the baby born in a manger, is the star of Jacob from Numbers 24, who crushes his enemies. So you may start thinking differently about that star that you put on top of your tree. And I think that might be a good thing. And so, but before we kind of get into verses 14 through 19, I need to kind of set some groundwork on where we're at in Numbers. We're coming in this kind of quickly and just out of nowhere, Numbers 24. So I need to kind of set up where Israel's at here in Numbers, particularly Numbers 22 through 24 here, is that you probably know the stories of uh, Balak and Balaam and Israel, where Israel's in the wilderness now, it's encamped there, and it's growing mighty and large, what it says in Numbers 22. And Israel grows mighty and large, and that scares Balak, king of Moab. It makes him nervous, it disturbs him, because there's a nation that's growing right underneath his nose. Now, who does that sound like to you? Israel's growing mighty and strong. There's a foreign ruler who, that makes him nervous, and so he's going to do something about that. Sounds a lot like Pharaoh, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like Pharaoh. So this disturbs Balak, king of Moab. So here's what Balak does to solve this problem. Balak uh, calls on Balaam, who is a sorcerer of sorts, of witchcraft, and you know a witch doctor of some, some form. And he gives him instructions to go and curse Israel. Here's how I'll deal with this Israel growing mighty and strong. I'll get a sorcerer, I'll get a, a wizard of sorts, and he'll go and curse Israel, and that'll, that'll, that'll get rid of them altogether. Well, that doesn't work how he wanted it to go. Every time Balaam goes out to curse Israel, does anybody know what happens? He blesses them. He blesses them. Does the exact opposite. You can probably remember Balaam's donkey, that big story. But at every point that Balaam goes out to curse Israel, God intervenes, and he ends up blessing Israel. And what Balaam will declare is this, when Balak comes to him and says, what are you doing? I, I like hired you for a job, and you're doing the exact opposite of that. And Balaam's response is, I can't do anything else. Look at verse 13. Of chapter 24. Balaam's questioning him, or Balaam's questioning Balaam. What are you doing? I sent you, I paid you, you're not doing the job I paid you to do. And this is what Balaam says to Balak. If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. Basically, Balaam's saying this. You could give me all the riches in your house, Balak, but here's what I'm constrained by. Here's what I cannot do anything outside of, God's will and God's word. 
can't do anything else. I'm constrained by that. And so over and over again in chapter 23 and 24, Balak says, I can't do anything in this. You've told me to curse them, but how can I curse someone who God has blessed? I can't say anything other than what God has told me to say. God has control and authority over my mouth. Balak doesn't. And let me just, by way of an application here, just say this. I pray this is the case for all of us. I pray this is the case for all of us. Is that our speech is constrained by God's words and will. So constrained that when you are in a situation where you are tempted to capitulate, or you're tempted to compromise, or tempted to give in, that you would be similar to what Balaam says, you could give me all the riches in this world, but I am constrained, I am tethered to, I am under the authority of Christ Jesus and his will and his words. I can't do anything else but speak the truth. I pray that that would be the scenario for you. Are you in a situation right now where you are being tempted to compromise, tempted to capitulate, tempted to give in? Let me say this. Just as God had authority over Balaam's mouth and his words and his will, so does God, if you are in Christ, has authority over your will and over your life and over your words. Be constrained by God's words regardless of what people may offer you. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll give you this. You'll get a better job. You'll get a better house if you just say this. Say, you could offer me all those things, but I'm constrained by God's word. Let's be like Balaam in that sense. And Balaam's words, they bless Israel. They're doing the exact opposite. They're not cursing. They're blessing Israel. But in the midst of the blessing that he's giving to Israel, there is a there's a looking forward to something, or actually to someone. Is that Balaam's oracles to Israel is actually saying that there's going to come someone in, and arise, and he's going to defeat the enemies, Israel's enemies, even Moab. There's someone who's going to come. And in the first 13 verses of Numbers 24, we get little, little pictures of what's going to be about this person, this individual. Just look at this, verse Verse 7 of chapter 24, we learn that this is going to be a very, very high king, higher than any king, and he's going to have a high and exalted kingdom, verse 7. Verse 8, God's going to bring him out of Egypt. Now let me just go ahead and tell you this, what does that sound like? He will be, in verse 9, look at this, crouched. He lay down like a lion. Again, where have you heard this from? Anybody know? Genesis 49. Shane preached it just a couple weeks ago. The lion of Judah, he's going to be like a lion crouched and ready to pounce. That's who this one's going to be like. And even further in verse 9, how one responds to this person will have great impact on their life. Because this person is bestowed with the promise of Abraham. Look at verse, verse 9. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. That's from Genesis chapter 12. So this person is going to be a king with a kingdom that is highly exalted above any other kingdom. God's going to bring this person out of Egypt. This person is going to be like a lion, mighty. And this person is going to have great effect on people. And their response to him is going to have great impact on them. 
And so the moral of the story of Numbers 24 is this. This person whom Balaam is speaking about in the future, you better listen up to him. You better listen well, friends. Because your response to this one who is spoken about in Numbers 24 will either lead to your eternal cursing or your eternal blessing. That's how significant it is. Not just for Israel, but for each one of us who sit in this room. Each one of us in this world. How you respond to this person in Numbers 24 will have great impact. This is not just a, another historical figure that you appreciate their contribution to human history. This is not like an Einstein or a Lincoln or a Washington or a Parks or an MLK or a Babe Ruth or anybody like that. Oh, they did great things. I appreciate what they've done. They really transformed society in some way. Go on your merry way. That is not how one can respond to this number 24 person. To have no change after, this, after you hear about this thing, this person, will lead to your eternal cursing. And this is what happens to Israel. I, I want you to put your eyes on chapter 25 real quick. Just the first verse. Just think about this. They hear this glorious chapter on this person who is to come in the future in Numbers 24. And then the first thing that they do in Numbers 25 is this. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab and to sacrifice to their gods. They just hear this glorious statement about this person who's coming in the future, who's going to rescue them, and this is the first thing that they do after it. And this is the problem with us. This is our problem. If we respond to this number 24 person like they're just any other person in human history, and we go on our merry way as if it's not changing anything, it will lead to eternal cursing for the so Numbers 24 must lead us to change, not to continue doing the same old thing in sin. And so, now we get to Numbers 24, 14 through 19, where Balaam's vision builds on this character that we've already learned about in the first 13 verses. He's going to speak of someone that is like a star of Jacob. And three words that I want you to remember is this. This star is distant. This star is royal, and this star is crushing. Let's look at the first one, this. The star is distant. Just look in the first couple of verses, 14 through 17, is that clearly the oracle is speaking about something in the future. Now, fortune tellers and palm readers believe that they can see into the distant future. They can see what's going to turn about. They can see all that's going to unfold. Let me give you one word, piece of advice. Phonies. I don't know if I even need to make this application for you, but if you're a Christian in here and you're going to palm readers and you're going to, you know, psychics and things like that and, 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 and fortune tellers, stop. 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 If you want to know the future, read the Bible. It's very clear about what the future is going to be for us Christians. You don't need to go to anywhere. It's very clear about what it spells out. But here you get this Balaam speaking about the future. Is he a phony? Should we listen to Balaam right here? Is he, is he one of these fortune tellers and palm readers? Oh, I can see in these lines right here that you're going you're gonna to be a very successful person in the future. Thank you. Oh, man. 
should we believe Balaam? What makes Balaam's future-looking authentic, his prophecy authentic? Well, here's the reason why we can believe it's authentic, because it's from the Lord. Look in verse 2 of chapter 24. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping, tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Right? Verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 16, the words of God. Verse 4, the words of God. Is that the reason that these things are authentic, that we can believe them, that we can trust them, is because of the source of them. They come from God himself. They don't come from man. They're not manufactured there. And so if any person tells you a future that is not governed, that is not directed by, or does not line up with the Bible, with Scripture, with God's authoritative words, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't. And anybody who speaks with certainty that this is going to happen tomorrow, let me just say this. Only God knows tomorrow. Only He does. And so we can believe Balaam's words because we know the source of them. They come from God himself. And what Balaam speaks about is a person in the future. He, he, he. It's clear in verses 17 that this person, him, he, he, is not right here in their midst. It's not even right here in, in, in Moab or in a distant country. We're not talking about distance of like geography. Talk about distant future here. It's clear that the person is not present now, nor does it seem likely that he's near. But based on Israel's situation, Balaam's saying that he's in the future. That's what he says in verse 14, in the latter days, or at the end of the days. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Clearly this person is far off, not, di- not distant in geography, but distant in the future, time-wise, this person is. And so Israel is to take some sense of hope here, that their king is in the future. This person who's coming to save them is in the future. And look, upon hearing this, I would think that Israel would take very great hope and joy over these things in the midst of their situation right now, living in the wilderness underneath the nose of Moab. That Balaam comes to them and saying, there's one coming here. Let me just tell you this, Crosspoint. As Christ's people, we can also take this same hope. At the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, three times it said from Jesus' own mouth, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Christ's people should have the greatest hope in this world because we know that our Savior is coming soon he's coming take hope in that but this king isn't just a future king this king is a royal king that's what king means so look at this the star is in the future but the star is also royal royal has anybody ever been to hollywood boulevard by chance walk the boulevard there anybody yeah 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 walked and saw all the stars there 2500 stars right Mine, I think mine's coming up soon, but they're going to be putting it down. They they had a mess up with my name. Spelled it wrong. Um, But 2,500 stars, right? And what do those stars represent? People. But not just any people, like from dry prong people, right? Like, that that doesn't make any sense. There are certain types of people. What kind of people? Celebrities, right? 
right? Famous people, actors and directors and uh, all, all these things. These stars, that's who they represent. There's fame in there. And so in Hollywood, stars, these stars represent fame. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, stars represent kingship, royalty. Just like we know in like these symbols of like crown and scepter and throne, those are all associated with or they're symbols of royalty and kingship and things like that. The Bible, when it uses the word star, that's what it means. It's associated with kingship, royalty, being high and exalted, right? And so Balaam's building on these descriptions in verses 1 through 13. And then he says, there is a, verse 17, a star shall come out of Jacob. A star shall come out of Jacob, indicating that not only is this star in the future, but this star is a king. He's royalty. And Balaam will go on to say that there's more language and verbiage here to indicate that this person is not just any average person, that this person is royalty. He's, he comes from kingship. Just look at this. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a what? A scepter. A scepter. Right? And we talked about scepter a couple weeks ago in Genesis 49. Shane brought that up. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So scepter is another symbol of authority and of kingship and royalty. Not only that, but look at this in verse 18. Is that possession happens here. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. There's possession language here. So kingship language is in star. It's in scepter, and it's also in possessing things, right? Kings possess things. Rulers possess clothing and jewels and valuables and armies and things like that. But they also also possess nations and land. You know, when she was alive, Queen Elizabeth was monarch over 15 countries. That's, That's what she ruled over. That, I mean, that was her possession as a ruler. Right? And so this is, this is what Balaam is saying about this person, that this person owns these things. Balaam's prophecy reveals that not only will this king possess Israel, but he'll possess the kingdoms of the earth. And the Bible continues to reinforce this about the Messiah, that he will own everything. Genesis 24, 60 says that Rebekah's offspring is going to own, possess the gates of her enemies. Psalm 2, a classic messianic text about Jesus that's quoted all over the New Testament, says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. So this this person, this star king, is going to have a scepter, he's going to possess things, and then he's going to have dominion. Look at this. Verse 19, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. The king will possess it and rule it well. One day everything will operate underneath and according to his will and authority, just as it was supposed to in the garden. You ever you remember this language from the garden? That Adam and Eve were to have what? Dominion. They were to have rule, dominion, and subdue creation. 
And so now this person, this star of Jacob, is going to have dominion. The dominion that Adam and Eve lost in sin. So now he's going to have it perfectly, and he's going to keep it, and he's not going to, he's not going to fail. He's going to rule well. This star is distant, and the star is royal. He's in the future, and he's a king. And there's the third point. He's also crushing. Now just think about what Balak's thinking about right now. If you're, if you're a king of another country, Moab, and you hear Balaam's oracle about this person, this, this king, this star, that's going to come, and he's going to have dominion, he's going to have a scepter, he's going to possess all the nations in the entire world, he's going to do all these things. I mean, you're kind of shaking a little bit, but maybe you're thinking this. Maybe we can coexist together, right? Hey, look, he can have his empire, and I can have mine. And we can coexist together peacefully. Maybe we can even work together, maybe on some projects and stuff like that, right? You have to be thinking, Balaam's thinking like that. Yeah, this star guy, he sounds pretty, sounds pretty bad. Maybe we can be friends. Maybe, we can, we, maybe he can... He can rule this, I can rule that. We'll, we'll work together. The world's big enough for two powerful rulers and regimes, right? And the answer is what? No. No. No, Balak. There is not room for you to have your rule and authority in your kingdom. There's only going to be one kingdom, and it's going to be the star of Jacob's kingdom. It's going to be his. That's how the star of Jacob works. And so Balaam's oracle indicates to Balak that this future individual is not just a king who will rule, who will have dominion and possess territories. He will be a king who will do all these things and crush his enemies. Look at what it says here about this star. Verse 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's from Genesis 49. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. When's the last time you heard about some something's head being crushed? Genesis 3. The serpent's head is going to be crushed underneath the seed of the woman. Balaam's oracle is picking up on all these messianic texts that we've already quoted and already preached. Genesis 49. Genesis 3. Saying that this Numbers 24 king is the seed of the woman, is the lion of Judah, and he's going to crush his enemies. And Moab and Balak are going to be one of them. Going to be one of them. He is the future king. So this star king is going to crush Balak and his kingdom. And that can't be good if you're Balak. So Balak's whole plan has backfired, right? It's backfired. Balak hires Balaam to curse Israel. And he goes and he can't do it because he's constrained by God's word. And in the end, Balak learns that God's future king is actually going to come and crush him. He sent Balaam to go and curse Israel so that they would be crushed. But instead, it comes back on him and the prophecy is, no, you are going to be crushed, Balak, and your kingdom is going to be flattened. God reverses the curse. Balaam's and Balak's opposition to God, to Israel, doesn't work out. And let me just tell you as a warning, 
for all of us. Maybe any of you right now are living in some form of disobedience or some form of sin or some form of rebellion. And it may feel good right now. It may feel like it's going to work out for you. It may feel like, hey, I don't see any repercussions here. Let me just tell you this, friends. Rebellion and disobedience will always backfire on you. Hands down. It will always backfire on you. When, Christian, if you're in here in any moment, have you ever thought, you know what? I'm better off for disobeying God. This situation, you know what? I know all the routes that I had. You know what? Disobeying God was actually the right route. Any Christians here would admit to that. I hope you wouldn't, because if you would, we'd have to have a conversation after this. There's never going to be an instance where rebellion and disobedience to God will work out for you. It will backfire just like it backfires on Balaam. Israel's Messiah, this one that Balaam speaks about, is in the future. He is a king, and he will crush their enemies. But here's the final question that I have for us. Who is he? Who is he? Who is the star of Jacob? It's kind of like Batman, right? Kind of like Batman. I got I just piqued Ben Nickens' interest. Who is this masked vigilante? Right? We know what he looks like. We know who he sounds like. I'm Batman. Right? You know his voice when you hear it. We know what he does. He saves people. We know the gadgets that he has. But who is the man behind the mask? We all know it. Bruce Wayne, right? But everybody else in Gotham seems to have no clue. Well, let me tell you this. The rest of the Bible does not hide the identity of the star of Jacob who comes to crush his enemies. The, the New Testament unravels and unmasks this. It is the God incarnate Christ Jesus. Just consider how the New Testament unmasked this, that this Numbers 24 person individual, is Jesus Christ himself. The birth of Jesus Christ is the arrival of the star of Jacob. And this is implied by Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, by the actual historical presence of a star in the sky. Right? It's, you know, Matthew tells us all about this star. It says it numerous times in Matthew 2. The star, the star, his star, his star, the star, the star, his star, his star. Over and over again. To show that there is significance to a star appearing on Jesus' birth. The star is a symbol of kingship. I want to quote the great theologian and intellect, Adam Pace. Who said this to me this week. The star of Bethlehem leads the Magi to the star of Jacob. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. That's exactly what happens. The star of Bethlehem that happened in the sky historically is leading the Magi to the star of Jacob, to the head crusher, Jesus Christ of Numbers 24. That's him. So the star is a symbol of Jesus being the Numbers 24 person. Let me just say this. If you don't, if you don't, uh, I'm not going with you, I'm not tracking with you there. Yeah, star appeared in the sky. I don't know if that's Numbers 24, Wes. Okay, you can disagree with me on that. But you can't disagree with what Jesus said. And he says this, in some of the last verses in the Bible, Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root 
and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He recognizes himself as the star of Jacob of Numbers 24. That he is the one who has come. He's going to crush his enemies. He's going to crush those, all those who are opposed to him. And so what do we take from this, church? What do we take from this? Well, here's what I, here's what I hope we take from this, Numbers 24. Next time y'all are battling over who's going to put the star at the top of the tree, while each other's crushing each other's enemy, is that when you put that star on top of that tree next year, or when you take it down this year, num- Numbers 24 will come to your mind. That this star that we put on our tree is not just an ornamentation, is not just for beauty, is not just for glamour. It's a reminder of who Jesus is. That he is the star of Jacob on Numbers 24. The royal, crushing star. That the star of Jacob has come and is coming again. As he says in Revelation 22, I'm coming soon. And you now knowing that the star of Jacob is coming and what he is coming to do, we should prepare ourselves for his return. You know that he's coming. He's not coming like he did the first time. He's coming as an enemy-crushing Savior. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready? Are you living lives of holiness and godliness right now in light of knowing that your Savior is coming as the star of Jacob to crush his enemies? The star should remind you that Jesus is king and he deserves your submission. Are you submitted to him in every area of your life? Is Christ, the star of Jacob, the enemy crusher, is he the head of your home? Is he the head of your marriage? Is he the head of your job, your workplace, your parenting, your friendships? Is he the center of all those things? Because he deserves submission and allegiance in all those areas. And the star, when you put it on top of your tree, should be a reminder that Jesus is a crushing king who destroys those who set themselves in opposition to him through rebellion and disobedience. Look, I want to challenge you with this, Crosspoint. That when we share the gospel, We do need to share the grace and forgiveness that's given in Jesus Christ. We do need to share the love and compassion that he has towards sinners. We do need to share his overwhelming love and desire to forgive. But to remember that when people reject the gospel, when people set themselves in rebellion to Jesus Christ, it's never a safe place to be. And so when we share the gospel with somebody, and they reject it like, no, I'm, I'm, not in, I'm not into Jesus. It doesn't really matter. don't really care about him. Our response can't be, you do what you do. You know, that's okay. That's okay. That would be like telling somebody who's drinking poison like it's going to turn out well for them. Oh, you're drinking poison? Yeah, that's not what I do for a hobby, but you, it sounds like that's what you want to do. And you know what? You keep on doing that. That's okay. That's what it's equivalent to. To hearing somebody reject the gospel to your face and you turning and saying, oh, that's okay, it'll probably work out for you, you rejecting the gospel. What it says here is that Jesus is coming back as a crushing king who will crush his enemies 
And it's not okay to reject the gospel. And we should not make people feel like it is okay. We can't, we can't change their mind. We can't change their heart. That's only what the Spirit of God can do in people. But from our demeanor and our disposition, it should never be off. They say, you know what? I rejected what they told me, and they felt like it was okay. We should never feel like it's okay to reject the gospel. Because we know that our king, and this is what the good news of Jesus is about, is that our king is coming. What 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says to us, he's going to come, and he's going to kill and crush the last enemy, which is death. Final, complete. Christian, I want to challenge you today to do something around your dinner tables when you eat lunch is this one thing that you can't wait that you long for for Christ to bring to an end when he comes and crushes his enemies I'm not talking about a specific person but one thing that you long for when Christ returns will be brought to an end God I'm so thankful that when Christ returns there will be an end to depression. God, I'm so thankful that when Christ returns, he will crush every single enemy, and that will bring an end to war. God, I'm so thankful that when Christ returns, he will bring an end to famine, to poverty, to evil. This morning, I challenge you, when you sit around your tables today, thank God for one thing, that when Christ returns, there will be no, no semblance of in the new heavens and new earth. Can you thank God for that today? I know that it exists right now in this world. But when Christ returns and he's going to crush all of his enemies, even the last enemy death, there will be no more evil. There will be no more corruption. There will be no more sin. There will be no more depression. There will be no more racism. There will be no more anything in this world. We will be with our God and he will be our God. We will be his people. There will be no more of these things because he will crush every single enemy and make them his footstool would you thank God for that thing today and that you would remember this as we end on the star of Jacob this may be corny and this may be cheesy but remember who the star of the show is it's not you it's not me it's the star of Jacob God incarnate, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you thought Christianity was about something else. You thought it was about rules or good behavior or attendance or wearing the right things. Let me just tell you this. If you're an unbeliever and you thought it was all those things, it's none of those things. It's about Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what Christianity is about. At the center of it, it's the star of the show is Jesus. This morning, maybe you're convicted that your life has been all about you me, 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 I, I, I. Your favorite song is I love me and I love I. And your life is about that. The star of Jacob is a reminder that life and the story is not about you. It's not about me. It's about the star of Jacob, Jesus Christ, who has come and is coming to crush every single enemy and put them underneath his feet forever. It Christianity, the gospel, is about Jesus. This morning, would you repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, the star of Jacob, and find refuge and peace in him? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. 
Thank you that Jesus has come to start your work. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, to crush every enemy underneath his feet. And I pray that you would be honored in how we live today in light of that. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.